0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Bob Cornuke shares the details on his journey to discover the lost shipwreck of the Apostle Paul. Thank you to everyone who responded yesterday to our announcement of the Faithful Friends Project. Faithful Friends are individuals and families who come alongside Watchmen on the Wall with a monthly financial gift, whether it's $10 or $100 per month. It all goes to help the ministry continue to proclaim the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. We need 300 faithful friends to begin supporting Watchmen on the Wall on a monthly basis. And I have been so encouraged by the individuals and families that are beginning to respond and are becoming faithful friends. Will you please be one of the faithful 300? Call 1-800-652-1144 and find out the benefits of becoming a faithful friend today. 1-800-652-1144 In September of 2000, Bob Cornuke flew to Malta. That trip marked the start of nearly two years of research and discovery in search of the lost anchors described in the book of Acts. Here's James Collins and Bob Cornuke with all the exciting details. In approximately 60 A.D., a ship
1: carrying 276 men and a cargo of grain shipwrecked off the coast of Malta. Two of the passengers on that ship were the biblical writers Paul and Luke, who were on their way to Rome. Paul as a prisoner and Luke as his attending physician and friend. In Acts chapter 27 and 28, Luke gives a very detailed account of the voyage and the shipwreck. My guests today use Acts 27 and 28 as a guide to look for the remains of that famous shipwreck And he tells the story in an amazing book titled The Lost Shipwreck of Paul. And I believe that after you hear him share his incredible story, you'll want to read this book. With me today is Bob Cornute. Bob is a biblical investigator, international explorer, and best-selling author. He has participated in over 70 international expeditions searching the world over for lost locations described in the Bible. These journeys include searching for the real Mount Sinai in Egypt and Saudi Arabia, exploring Turkey for the remains of Noah's Ark, following ancient Assyrian and Babylonian flood accounts in Iran, and tracking the Ark of the Covenant from Israel to Egypt and across the Ethiopian highlands. He's been called the modern-day Indiana Jones, and it's very exciting for me to speak with him today. Bob, welcome. Thanks so much for being our guest.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, now, your book, The Lost Shipwreck of Paul, is a page-turner. I've read it four or five times myself. The book is an adventure story, and it's also a detective story. And you have a background in detective work. Tell me about your history of police work.
2: Well, I started off police work as a patrolman, and then I I worked motors for a while. But then I got involved. I'm a graduate of the FBI Homicide Institute, so I worked in CSI and homicide investigation.
1: Wow. So you have a unique background for uh, investigation.
2: Well, I have a a skill that I learned as a police officer, and I just felt that uh, as as my spiritual awareness grew, that I would apply that towards trying to find lost locations in the Bible. A daunting task because there are so many traditions out there that no matter what you find, tradition sometimes will just fall on you like a big rock. People just don't sometimes want to hear their sacred cows slaughtered. So when you have something like Paul's Shipwreck or Noah's Ark or the Ark of the Covenant, people have in scots traditions about that if you try to change that in any way they get pretty riled up but i just follow the bible as the final mediator and roadmap and and arbitrator and all this
1: well you write about meeting a famous man named jim irwin in 1985 he became a mentor to you and had a profound influence on your life tell me about jim irwin
2: great man eighth man to walk on the moon first one to drive the car on the moon He had a great spiritual awakening while he was on the moon, very profound, so much so that he came back and committed his life to looking for lost locations in the Bible. Unfortunately, he died at 61 years old, and by that time we were close friends. I was the vice president of the High Flight Foundation, and the family sort of asked me if I'd pick up the the fallen flag, and uh, I did, and I've been searching for lost locations in the Bible ever since.
1: Well, I understand from reading The Lost Shipwreck of Paul that you were inspired to search for Paul's shipwreck through a shipwreck of your own on Lake Tana in Ethiopia. Will you share that story with us?
2: Yes, I will. Lake Tana is so far across, you can't even, it is 90 kilometers. So it's the second largest lake in Africa. So when you say you're shipwrecked on a lake, people say, well, lakes are kind of placid. Well, no, they're like you fill a big bowl full of water and kind of tilt it and slosh it around. That's what happens with the high winds and storms out there you get 15 high waves in the middle of this lake. And we hit a big rock in the middle of the lake. It was submerged. We, we didn't know it was there. And it. we had about a 50-foot metal boat, about a 50, 1950s vintage boat. And it just ripped out the bottom of it. And it started sinking. And it was pretty scary. We had to. The, the thought was we had to three and a half miles swim to shore at night with no lights and a big storm. But these fishermen came out and rescued us. And the next day, I was reading the Bible about shipwrecks. And I read about Paul's shipwreck. And it kind of just jolted me when I read in the, that version of the Bible where it said that the anchors on Paul's shipwreck were dropped in the sea right off the shore of Malta. And so there were many, there were many landmarks that, that Paul talked about. And we just went over and triangulated those and came to the exact spot. And sure enough, the anchors were there.
1: In your adventures that you've had through the years to find lost locations described in the Bible, you were arrested Many times in the Middle East, you were shot at, you fell off of glaciers, you crash-landed airplanes, and were chased by military patrols. That is in addition to the shipwreck story that you just shared with me. Why do you do it?
2: That's a good question. You know, I, I, I get that from my kids and my wife, you know, where's the sanity and all this? You have to endure the ridicule that there's the great expense of it all, there's the great risk of it all, but I just feel that God is leading me on primarily because... We have located so many things that are just beyond coincidence to me. I believe God is sort of leading us and our team to these locations. We more recently just found, let's say, John Hercanus's tomb over in Israel's walking into Kidron Valley. It just rained that night, and there was a little sliver of, of the, the rock that was washed away, and it opened up a little a little area that you can look inside and about the size of a basketball, and I put my phone in there, and it was one of the largest tombs ever found in Israel, and it was John Hercanus's, we believe. So. Those kind of things just, my wife said, Bob, I've been married to you for 28 years. You're not that smart. I know that God had to be in this or you wouldn't find all this stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about Paul. Now, in Acts 27 and 28, Luke describes a shipwreck. Paul is a prisoner on the ship that is headed to Rome. Can you share that narrative? How did the Apostle Paul end up shipwrecked on the island uh, that we call today Malta?
2: Yeah, it was a long journey for Paul. It started off at the temple in Jerusalem, where he was accused of offering improper offerings. He was arrested. He was held prisoner there for a while, and then he was transported by about 470 men from Jerusalem to Caesarea. That's how big of a, you know, he was what we would consider to be a rock star today. Everybody knew who Paul was. Everybody talked about Paul. And so the, he was a political hot potato because he was a Roman citizen. And he's this believer in Christ. So they didn't know what to do with the guy. So they throw him in prison for two years in Caesarea. Then he demands that he, he he says, I demand as a Roman citizen that I can go before Caesar. And that was the law. So uh, they put him on a ship and it was a small merchant ship and it sailed from Caesarea to Sidon. He got off at Sidon because he was not feeling well. We don't know what he was sick with, but he was taken off and given some medical attention. Then he went off, then they went to Myra where they, Transported from that smaller merchant ship to a big Alexandrian grain freighter. Those big grain freighters would fly the Mediterranean Sea, taking grain from Alexandria to Rome because there was a food shortage in Rome because the population was so high—over a million people in Rome at the time—and so they just didn't have enough food. So they go to, so they had these big, like tankers we'd call them today—the big shipping tankers. But those days they were wood, but they were pretty impressive in size, even though they were made out of wood. But he got on the ship in Caesarea, and then he, I mean, in, into uh, Sidon. Then he went to the island of Crete, and they were going by Crete, and they, they ported in, in a small port there. And so they went to uh, Fairhaven. And then they stayed there a while, and they kind of decided, hey, it's getting late in the season. There's a lot of big storms happening this time of year. And so the owner of the ship said, ah, we're going to risk it. We're going to go on. Paul warned him not to. But anyway, they went on. They did get into a big storm. Then the storm blew them, was called a Euroclide, and we would call it like a typhoon, and was blown by the island of Cloud. And there they had to throw off some of the, even some of the merchandise they were shipping that's unheard of, but It's so expensive. But, and then they took the rigging and they had to put it underneath the bow of the ship just to keep it from falling apart. And the waves were pounding on it. Then the, the sailors were so fearful of hitting the northern coast of Africa, which was Sidon, which was the Cirrus Sands, I'm sorry. That's what modern day Libya is. And so they turned and then went up and then they gave a vector going right into Malta, the southeast coast of Malta, where they encountered at nighttime on the 14th night. And then they, they dropped four anchors in the sea. They were scared to death. They heard the waves crashing on, on the shore. They didn't know what they had in front of them in the inky blackness of night. These four anchors tethered them. When the sun came up, they cut the anchors off. They went to shore. They got stuck on a reef. All the men swam to shore, but they cut those anchors and left them in the sea, Scripture said. And it gives us the exact depth and location in Scripture.
1: Now, there's a monument and a church located there on Malta where some believe that Paul ended up and landed. But you've shown uh, that that's probably not the right location. Tradition says Paul landed in St. John's Bay, but uh, as you said earlier, tradition isn't uh, always accurate. Isn't that right?
2: When the Normans conquered Malta and they kicked out the Muslims, uh, they all said, hey, this is such a great biblical story. We don't know where it is, but the priests there tell me that they just set up the church there and they started tradition and people have accepted it. But it's impossible. There's no bay with a beach there. There's no way that the ship could have gone in that direction with the wind. and they, It's just impossible. The only place it could happen with the bay, there's only two bays with beaches in Malta at all. And the one that the Bible talks about is a bay with a beach with a reef in front of it. And it's where uh, the, the Bible uses the term top on the batholoson, which is a Greek word which means where two seas come together. And so that's exactly, if you go there today on a high windy day, you can see these two currents crashing over this reef, and there's a the bay with a the beach. There's nowhere else that it could be but at this exact place. And the Bible says that they lowered the anchors in 90 feet of water. They hit 90 feet of water and they dropped those anchors in. So we went out in front of the reef, 90 feet of water. We found that these anchors were there at one time. I didn't find them. They were located by fishermen that didn't even know what they had.
1: You encountered some men on Malta who were divers. Tell me about uh, your time with Ray and and, uh, tell me about his mentor, Tony.
2: Ray Chancho and Tony mcauliffe real interesting characters. Tony, I didn't get a chance to meet him because he died diving for a grouper, and he, his body was even missing for six years. They found his wetsuit just with his skeleton in it inside a cave six years later. But Ray tells me the story of when they went out there one morning, and they were diving, and they came across this uh, big object in the bottom of the sea, it was right at 90 feet, right in front of the Munchar Reef, where the Bible says where the two seas come together, and they found this metal object. They pulled it up with 50-gallon drums. They tied ropes around it. They put their regulators underneath these drums, lifted it up, carried it to shore. They almost broke their backs because it's like 500 pounds bringing it to shore, putting it in the cars. It's against the law to take anything out of, you know, out of the ocean in Malta. They have strict regulations against antiquities being taken out of there. So they were breaking the law. So they went and took it home and hid it in their backyards, covered it up. And then I found uh, four other fishermen that found the other four uh, divers. They were grouper divers in those days. They they would go down with their spear guns and shoot these big groupers in front of this reef. And that's where the big groupers were. They called it the bank because there were so many grouper you could bring home the money in the bank. But a lot of fishermen were out there, but they all seem to center around this character named Tony McCulloch-Borg, is sort of the ringleader of all the divers. And he's sort of the common denominator of all this. So I interviewed five divers that found these anchors, and they brought up all four of them, and we located and identified all four of the anchors.
1: That's incredible. Those divers found the anchors from Paul's Shipwreck, as described in Acts twenty-seven twenty-nine. You know, that has to be the greatest archaeological find since the Dead Sea Scrolls.
2: I don't was, you I've been told that. And the problem is, and by the way, these anchors were identified as first century anchors off an of Alexandrian grain freighter from Dr. Bonanno from the University of Malta. So get this, we have the anchors in the exact place that Paul says, that Luke writes, in the narrative of the Paul story. We have, they're in the exact depth, they're in the exact location, and they're clustered together. And they were, the fascinating thing, they were 120 feet apart which means if you drop anchors from a ship and it goes down, you would have four anchors, than 50 feet, 40 feet. These were 120 feet, so they were in a spread pattern exactly as the Bible said to tether the, the ship before it went against the rocks in that storm in that 14th night. So everything fit exactly as Luke says, and yet the world is not jumping up and down and saying, this is the greatest discovery that we've ever heard of, because people are more interested in episodic events such as the Red Sea parting or Noah's Ark or God descending on in fire at Mount Sinai. Those huge events people are fascinated with. But a mundane, there's just four anchors, people don't get excited about that. But for me, it literally changed my life because it shows the Bible is so accurate. It's just precise. And Luke is chronically accurate in his narrative. And we we're just faithful to follow it. And these four anchors were identified at the exact place that Luke said.
1: Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking today with Bob Cornuke about his exciting book, The Lost Shipwreck of Paul. It is a beautiful hardcover book with a section of color photos. This is one of those books that you can't put down, and you have to have your own copy. And you can get one at a special price by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order at our website, swrc.com. Now, Bob, I've heard you talk about the lead that was used in these anchors. There was something special about that lead, wasn't there?
2: Yeah, the lead is very valuable today because when you have 2,000-year-old lead, it, it loses its radioactivity or the, the harming properties of lead. Doctors and hospitals and medical personnel uh, really, really would love to have this this lead. It's just extremely valuable, this ancient lead. I do have a big chunk of it because one of the anchors was cut up when Tony brought it up. They said, hey, they're dumb, young, 19, 20, 21-year-old divers, and they had no lead. It was after World War II, and they had nothing for dive belt. So they said, hey, we've got all this lead here in this anchor. Let's just cut it up, put it in these little pots, and heat it up, and melt it, and then pour it into molds and make it into dive weight. And they did, and I have the last surviving dive weight. In fact, I cut a piece of it off and gave it to a very famous man, Douglas Gresham. His father is C.S. Lewis. And Douglas Gresham lives over Malta, over the bay, and he is now partnering with me on this. He's been so good about helping me with this story, but, you know, having your father a C.S. Lewis, is kind of cool. And uh, I gave him a piece of this lead, and he said, you know, it's it's his prized possession.
1: Remind us once again, now, how did you come to look for Paul's shipwreck?
2: I got shipwrecked myself over off the coast of Malta. It was a very scary story. Time just precludes us from going into great detail. Suffice it to say that it was a very, very scary situation and a near-death situation. We are sinking on a ship in a big storm in Africa. The swells were, the waves were crashing over the boat. It was sinking, and we were three and a half miles from shore. No life vests. There were hippos and crocodiles along the shoreline. It's one of those situations where, you know, it's not going to turn out well. And sure enough, some fishermen saw us out there at night and they came out and they put us in their small skiffs and they took us to shore and they literally saved our lives. And so I got out my Bible the next day and said, shipwreck, shipwreck, shipwreck. What is God going to teach me about this? And sure enough, I read in the Bible about Paul being shipwrecked and about these anchors. And and what really got me was when the verse said, and they were left in the sea, when they cut the anchors in the stern and they left them in the sea, I was just blown away. I'm saying, could these things still be there? And I found out that they could because those anchors were made out of lead in those days. Just picture like a railroad tie about five feet long with a square hole in it and that's pretty much what you're gonna find left. That's the crossbar of the anchor. And it, it lead is very resilient against salt water and could last another thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And these anchors, sure enough, were left in the sea and sure enough I think we located exactly where they were and we could still and I saw the anchors today. The divers that found them in the late sixties and seventies didn't know what they had and they, they found Paul shipwreck. And, and those sailors, by the way, when I read from the Bible and what they found, you should have seen their faces and how they wept. God would use them in such a unique way.
1: Well, I want to encourage our listeners to read Acts 27 and 28 and also get a copy of this book. For those who are unfamiliar with the story, can you bring us up to date, fill us in again on how the Apostle Paul ended up shipwrecked on the island that we call Malta? Yeah, Paul was
2: arrested in jerusalem at the temple falsely accused of offering improper offerings but anyway he was a political hot potato uh, everybody knew paul and he was a roman citizen that's what messed it up for everybody w- what do you do with a roman citizen who's a christian so he was taken to caesarea he languished there in a jail for two years and then he said i have a right to see uh, caesar and so an all-expense-paid trip he was taken from caesarea Philippi, he was taken up to Sidon, and there he was sick, he got off the boat, and he went and sailed uh, on a small merchant ship to uh, Myra, which is a big port city in the southern area of Asia Minor, and then he got on the big Alexandrian grain freighter, and he was taken to Malta, and they encountered a big storm that lasted 14 days, the ship was literally torn apart. In the evening of the 14th night, they heard waves crashing. They knew they are in front of somewhere. They learned later it was Malta. The Bible describes it this way. It says that there was a bay with a beach in front of them. There was a reef just below the water where waves were crashing. The Bible uses the term top on the Luke uses that word, that Greek word, which means where two seas come together, slap together. There was a bay with a beach, and so uh, if you go to Malta today, there's only one place that that could be, and that's in the Munchar Reef on the southeast coast of Malta. No other place fits that. It's literally a knuckle of rock that comes out of the ocean. There's no bay with beaches anywhere to speak of, but this place has a bay with a beach, and sure enough, it, it all fit. There's a reef. Uh, there was this, So we went out. The Bible says they, they cut the anchors loose at 90 feet. And these divers dove down, and exactly, I mean, we went down and took soundings, and exactly 90 feet, as the Bible said, which is 15 fathoms, Scripture says, which is 90 feet, 6 feet to a fathom. And these divers went down and measured, and they came up and said, Bob, it's exactly 90 feet where these anchors were found. And these, these anchors were found by spear fishermen in the late 60s and early 70s. They brought them up with tanks of, of air, and they, they put their regulators underneath these big 50-gallon drums tied with ropes, and they tied the ropes around these anchors. They lifted them up, and then they carried them to shore. And so two of them are in the uh, museum. I bought two of them for $20,000. The press said that, oh, he's buying them to, to make money on them. And I was buying them to donate to the museum, so no one would ever, ever taken them from Malta as a national and, and a holy treasure from Malta. So they're in the museum if anybody wants to go see them over there.
1: Tell me, Bob, about your team of divers that you took with you. You took a team with you to Malta originally to look for these before you uh, discovered that the anchors had already been found.
2: I did. I took some professional divers. I took Jean, uh, I forget his last name, his French name. No, we forget these things. But he was was from the Canadian dive team and uh, used to diving on wrecks for the canadian government and so we went over there and he was involved with the diving and then we also had the divers that lived on malta they were just young kids in late 60s and 70s you know they were just young guys and they when they went out and they were um they were just more interested in getting these fish they go down and spear fish these big groupers and they'd make a lot of money off of it they sold to the restaurants because tourism is a very vibrant activity on malta it's a beautiful island these restaurants needed grouper. They went down, and as they're diving, spear fishing, a guy named Tony McAuliffe-Bork shot at a big grouper, missed it. When he went down to retrieve uh, his spear, it had landed right on top of this big, kind of gray object that was very unique looking, foreign to the bottom of the ocean. He scraped his knife on it, and it turned out to be kind of a shiny glint of s- silver. He dug around it. He found out it was a massive, 500-pound lead anchor stock from an Alexandrian Roman grain freighter, and over the years. They harvested four more anchors from that exact spot. And, you know, there's never been four anchors found in the whole Mediterranean Sea of Roman anchors together, but let alone exactly where Luke says and the exact amount of anchors that Luke talks about in Scripture. Four, right where he said, right in 90 feet of water where these anchors would have been.
1: In my mind, there's no doubt that these are the anchors from Paul's shipwreck. Chuck Missler, who was a friend of yours, said that it's 10 to the 50th power that it's anything but Paul's shipwreck. The evidence is overwhelming, isn't it?
2: That's 10 with 50 zeros after it. You know, it's like impossible. But yet people, it's not a head thing, it's a heart thing. People would resist the word of God because of a heart thing and not a head thing. You know, its its you'd have to force feed your mind past reason and logic not to see that these are really the anchors from Paul's
1: shipwreck. Well, now, in the book, you write about an event that interrupted your search for Paul's shipwreck. That event was 9-11. Tell me, how did the events of September the 11th, 2001, take you from looking for Paul's shipwreck on the island of Malta to war-torn Afghanistan?
2: The first anchor that we we found at Margaret's house, which is Tony's wife, Tony McAuliffe-Borg was one of the discoverers. He he died in a dive accident, and his body was lost in that cave for six years. But I I went to meet with, with Margaret, and she said, I have one of the anchors in my backyard. And the kids were using it as a cheater-totter, you know, it's kind of this big lead-heavy thing, and she said it, they did just use that in the backyard for the kids to play on. It it's literally it takes two people would lift it up, three people. And so I was so excited, and that was September tenth, two 2001. So when I was flying back from London on a flight, a United flight, that was September eleventh, and I was grounded over in Gander, Newfoundland. So on September eleventh, two 2001, when the trade centers were hit, I was in the air at the time, but I was the last plane to come out of over there you know, from Newfoundland. that was, was grounded. And so I got a phone call right after that, and I got a phone call saying, hey, we'd like you to go to Afghanistan as a war correspondent to find the prison of these two women that were held there, Heather Mercer and Dana Curry. And so I was hired to go over there, and uh, I, I was a war correspondent in Afghanistan, in December of 2001, before the military were even there. So, so I'm over there getting bombed and everything, filming this stuff. And then I went back to Malta right after that, and we found the second anchor, and then the third anchor, and then the fourth anchor. So it, it took me about two years to find all the anchors.
1: When well, you call the four anchors the anchors of hope, why do you call those four anchors the anchors of hope?
2: Because today we need hope, where we're jauntous in our faith. You know, you you encountered that crisis. You know, going to seminary. A lot of people are today hearing the news say, "Oh, you know, this guy's all—he's a huckster and he's a liar and he's a this and he's sensationalist." You know, so they just lose their faith. But these are the anchors of hope. I mean, are right, the the one anchor that will never ever fail you is the anchor of Christ. You know, you could tie your stuff to you know to pastors. You can tie your life to the church. You can tie your life to your spouse, but there's one thing that will never, ever, 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 ever pull loose, and that is the anchor of Christ.
1: Well, all of the factors that you have found taken together argue to me convincingly that not only today is St. Thomas Bay the correct site of Paul's shipwreck, but also that the four anchors that you retrieve from those waters, or that the divers retrieve from those waters, were the very anchors mentioned in Acts 27. Well, we've been talking with Bob Cornuke about his outstanding book, The Lost Shipwreck of Paul. It's a beautiful hardcover book with a section of color photos. It's one of those books that you can't put down.
0: Today's featured resource is Bob Cornuke's book, The Lost Shipwreck of Paul. The true story of The Lost Shipwreck of Paul reads like a gripping fiction novel. As Cornuke takes readers along with him into the investigation, Using techniques he learned as a police officer and crime scene investigator, Bob Cornick probes each angle of the mystery. He takes you into his life experience to find the answer in the lost shipwreck of Paul. Suspense and trauma unfold in this riveting true account that presents one of the most astounding discoveries of the century. Page by page, it is history found and history made. Order your copy of the lost shipwreck of Paul today when you call one 800 That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. If you've missed any of this week's Watchmen on the Wall programs, you can catch up by subscribing to our daily podcast or by simply downloading the SWRC app. Have a great weekend and be encouraged, my friend. God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Visit SWRC.com.